Good evening, church. Hello, Ian Campus. Has it been a great week so far? That's just great, great. GCC, let me give you some updates. Um, We have, so far this week, passed every inspection in flying colors. Now, tomorrow, say tomorrow. tomorrow. The Grand Poobah comes tomorrow. He's the one with the big rubber stamp. He's the one that says yes or no, at least for the moment. And so we are believing that God has done an amazing thing. I mean, we're coming to the end of seven years. Something biblical about this whole process. We're coming to the end of seven years, and we are now literally within hours, hours. of being able to occupy this space. And so let me encourage you. I know we have a time of prayer and fasting that we're in this week. So let me just tell you, just eat a little bit less and pray a little bit more over the next few hours. And let's believe God to finish this thing. Amen? Tremendous, tremendous. Well, tonight for a few moments, I want to speak about reconciliation. I know this has been the theme for the conference for Ian Campus over the past day, day and a half, but... Nick and others asked me to continue on this theme, but tonight I want to talk about being reconciled together. Reconciled together. Turn over to the book of 1 Samuel. We're going to be in chapter 18. Here at Grace Covenant Church, we have three E's that really form our mission here. Now, Nothing, nothing particularly special or prophetic or different about our ease. A lot of churches have ease, but our three happen to be to encounter Christ, to experience community, and to extend the kingdom. But these are all so interconnected that really you can't do one without the other. One, I mean, one doesn't make any sense standing by itself. And so we encounter Christ, but it's only when we encounter Christ that it enables us to experience community. You can't do community unless Christ enables you to do it. Try it sometime without Jesus. It doesn't work. You wind up in court. Let me just move on. And then real community, genuine community, endears us to those outside looking, from the outside looking in. They're looking, and then we can expand the kingdom. You see, how we live together validates the message of reconciliation of those yet to come in. It's our validation. It's our passport. Early church understood this dynamic. You know this well, Acts the second chapter. They were together. They did all this stuff. It says they were together. They had everything in common, every day meeting together. In their homes, eating together. The Lord adding to their number daily those who were being saved. There was a dynamic. That yes, there were signs and wonders and miracles. And there was church going on. But they were doing life together. Folk had never seen anything like this before. 
that beyond the, just the parameters of what was required by the law, these folks were selling things and giving up possessions and saying, this is not mine, this is ours. And people were looking and saying, this is, a, this is something really different we've never seen before. How many of you know that generationally not much has changed? Is that there are those that are still looking and just hoping, is there really a different, are there really some different folk out there who are really doing life together in a real way? And how we do life in ministry is the primary part of the ministry that we have to a world marked and marred by division, disposable relationships, the ensuing disillusionment and destruction of the very relationships that God himself instituted. See, you and I have been given the ministry of reconciliation. We know that. But that reconciliation has to start, it has to be practiced by us. We've got to use what we are marketing. And our greatest opportunity together can also provide the greatest opportunity for the enemy to infiltrate. Consider for a moment the garden. God looked down. He saw Adam. He was pathetic by himself. Men don't do well by themselves. We're sad. We're pathetic. Certain things like how to wash clothes properly. Clean a toilet. We don't even know what that means. So we're pathetic. And God looked down and said, you know, Adam... You just, this, I know you and me got it going on here, but you sad. So he made this woman. He made this amazing helpmeet. <laughs> Nobody's shy here about what he made. <laughs> but consider something for a moment. The devil didn't mess with Adam. He only messed when there were two folk. We don't see the devil showing up until there was a relationship to infiltrate. Isn't that interesting? I mean, he could have, he could have messed with Adam. Did God really say? Does God love you? Where are God today? He's late. He waited on all of that until there was a second individual. The woman you gave me, did God really say? And so right there in the first marriage, the devil has a... What? He's got a toehold. And not only in the first marriage, between the first siblings, one had to kill the other one. Didn't have to. But so messed up, so jacked up, the rejection that Cain went out, the first family, messed up because of the very thing that we're talking about. Amazing. And in the church... And especially those of us called to leadership within the church, one of our greatest responsibilities is to guard those relationships against the accuser. He works three ways. He accuses us to God. Thank goodness that we have a great intercessor. Amen? Amen. Then he accuses God to us. Did God really say, does God really love you? If God really did, then he would. Many of us know what that voice sounds like. And then he accuses the brethren to the brethren. And often there's a process of how this happens. 
And let's look at a story quickly in 1 Samuel 18. You know this well. David coming into the service of Saul. And everything starts out fine. Here's David, anointed young man. Plays, leads worship, preach a little bit. So we send him out and we send him to a campus for to plant a church. And everything's great. And everything begins to take off. Whatever Saul sent him to do, David did it so successfully that Saul gave him a high rank. We're going to promote you, champ. We're going to put you on the NAST. We're going to put you in leadership of a region of campuses. It says this pleased all the people and Saul's officers as well. And everybody's happy. And how often we celebrate success until someone else's progress or success begins to eclipse ours. And others begin to talk it up a little bit. Wow, have you seen what they're doing over there in that region? Wow, that camp, they're blowing it up over there, Nick. Man, we're going we're gonna to have to get a video down here of what's happening on this campus. You're going to make the newsletter next quarter. All of a sudden, all the photographs that show up at the next conference. Everybody getting real nervous now. All of a sudden, there are the pictures that everyone's looking at and they're celebrating. Strong, champ, blowing it up down there. And we're real happy until that begins to happen. And it says, when the men were returning home after David had killed the Philistine, the women came out from all the towns of Israel to meet King Saul with singing and dancing and songs and tambourines and lutes. The worship team showed up. We even brought in some ringers and some string players. And they danced and they sang that Saul has slain his thousand and David his ten thousands. It was funny, Saul never liked that song much. <laughs> Didn't care for that one. As a matter of fact, he says he was very angry. Scripture says that the refrain galled him. They credited David with tens of thousands, he thought, but... Me with only thousands. What more can he get but the kingdom? From that time on, Saul kept a jealous eye on David. I remember when you just started. You and I were, you and I were sitting, you know, way back there at the first conference. We were just trying to figure out how to get our support raised so we could get out there and get it done. And now all of a sudden, they're talking about you. All of a sudden now, you've got a seat up there next to Pastor Jim or Pastor Steve. I can't even get a picture of one of the conference videos. Comparison, jealousy, anger. And then, then the spear throwing ensues. And the crazy, it moves from the heart and the mind to the spirit, and eventually all the way to the demonic. And then fear begins to enter. The Lord leaves, and then the downfall and destruction follows. Saul was afraid. 
because the Lord was with David, but had left Saul. Amazing that we would be fearful of someone else's anointing. What if they're younger than you are? What if their numbers have eclipsed anything you've seen before? But here's Saul going nuts. He sent David away, gave him command over a thousand. David left the troops. You know all this. In everything he did, he had great success because the Lord was with him. And when Saul saw how successful he was, he was afraid of him. You see, we know that our fight is ultimately not against flesh and blood. We've, we've read Ephesians. Yet let me say this to you. It often begins there. It often starts right there. Galatians 5 says, If you keep on biting and devouring one another, watch out or you'll be destroyed by each other. But what if we could keep it from progressing or regressing as with Saul? To not allow the accuser of the brethren to use us For this purpose, I believe we can. You see, the enemy understands the commanded blessing and the power of unity. He's afraid of it, as a matter of fact. And whether it's unity in a marriage, whether it's unity in a church, an apostolic family, a campus relationship, The devil knows that there's power. There's a commanded blessing of heaven that goes when men and women are doing this thing together. God knows it too. Genesis 11, coming down to look at what these guys were doing, says if as one people speak in the same language they can do this, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. There it is. So how do we live as reconciled people? Let me give you four quick thoughts this evening. The first, we need to recognize our weakness to do relationships and receive divine help to do them well. Ladies and gentlemen, relationships are difficult. And it's real simple. People are morons. Hello? People are idiots. They don't mean to be very few people. I mean, there are a few sociopaths and psychopaths that get up in the morning and say, you know, I'm, I'm really looking to jack somebody up today. I'm going to mess their life up permanently. But most of us, we don't get up thinking, I'm really going to hurt somebody today. That's my goal. That's on my to-do list. I'm going to hurt my wife. I'm going to mess up my kids. I'm going to get angry and I'm going to let something come out of my... Most of us don't do that. We're just careless. And relationships, they're difficult. Don't let anybody tell you any differently. I had a couple in my church in North Carolina years ago, and they were bragging to my wife and myself and said, we've been married 15 years and we've never had an argument. I said, I'm so sorry. (laughs) What are you talking about? I said, because when you do, it's going to be a doozy. (laughs) Said, or secondly, there's not a whole lot going on in your relationship. It's not the fact that we don't argue. The fact is what we do when we do. And relationships have to be regularly attended and guarded. 
Guard it. 2 Timothy 1.14, and I'm taking this way out of context. But we got some theologians in the room. I don't want any emails, so just knock it off, all right? But Paul writing to Timothy to guard the good deposit. He was speaking about the gift that had been entrusted to him. Guard the good deposit, but guard it with the help of the Holy Ghost. You know what? I believe that the relationships in our life are good deposits from God. And I believe they're so precious that God himself has to guard over them. If we will allow him to do that. So we need divine help to do relationships. Can we all agree with that? Second, we've got to live in revelation. And not just about everything and everybody else out there. I do, I do revelation occasionally. A little prophetic. Prophetic people, they're always peering out, looking for a date, looking for a number, looking for some piece of information about you. Prophetic people, they're very strange folk. And yet, it's not just about revelation for everything out there, but can you live in a revelatory manner about yourself? That can be very difficult sometimes. Who we are, and not only our strengths, mirror, mirror on the wall, but our weaknesses as well. That's hard. That's hard revelation to receive. Nathan to David, which Nathan do you want? Nathan the friend or Nathan the prophet? Oh, king, do that which is in your heart. God will breathe on it. Or Nathan, you the man. Which version of Nathan do you want? Could I submit to you? You need both. You need both Nathan somewhere in your life. And I'm not talking about your schizophrenic friend. I'm talking about multiple folks that maybe serve different roles. I've got a few friends in my life that we understand we're going to lie to one another. We understand that. Losing weight, hair coming back in, IQ rising. You get to be as old as Jim LaFoon, you need some folk. You need some folk who will lie to you. The skinny Jim. That champ, I'm going to be the other Nathan. That come over is not fooling anybody. Need to get honest about that, my hero. But let me ask you this. Are you truly in the spirit enough to be able to receive truth when he brings it to you? When the Holy Ghost comes and he brings you up short, you're the man. Oh, we love it when the Holy Spirit begins to speak to us about our destiny and these great things and how wonderful we are. But we fail to recognize that it's that same Holy Spirit who has a ministry of conviction to you and I. And that never feels real good. But then, are you truly in the quality of relationships where men and women can tell you the truth? Champ, you need a tic-tac. The paint's peeling off the wall. It's bad. 
Now, God gives a man a wife for these reasons. Because a wife will tell her husband, Honey, bad, leave. She will do that. But you need some friends that when your wife is not there with the Altoids in the purse, she needs some friends that will have some and help you. But you'll only have those friends if you can receive the truth from them. You'll never have them otherwise. Because there's some folks that say, what do you mean my breast stank? How about you? It's like, excuse me, but this was never about me. I don't, what, what, I, and so we wonder why. Well, why didn't you tell me? I tried. But after all of that sturm and drawing, after a while, it's just not worth it anymore. Can you receive as God puts these people around you? Three, you've got to resolve to love deeply despite. Above all, 1 Peter, love deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. See, love's not about perfection. It's about commitment. It's never been about perfection. Otherwise, Jesus couldn't love you. But it's about loving deeply. It's about being committed to one another in spite of. That's what agape love is. It's not keeping the record of right and wrongs, the whole 1 Corinthians 13 thing. But it's a matter of I'm committed to this relationship. Knowing in advance you are probably going to hurt me. person came to the church there. Said, oh, pastor, this is the greatest church. I'm so, I've been in and out of church. You know, I've been hurt a lot. But I just know I'm here now, and I just know. And I said, let me apologize to you. Well, you haven't done anything wrong. I said, I will very quickly. And I told my elders, I said, 90 days, they'll be gone. Because someone will hurt them. And they'll continue their cycle of being hurt. Because they can't receive truth. They don't understand about being committed first. You see, and part of the way we do this is to maintain short accounts. Matthew 5. There are ways that the Bible has prescribed for us to live with one another. Go and be reconciled. We had a go conference not too long ago. Go! But the first go has to start here. Go and be reconciled. And this passage speaks about leave your gift at the altar and go get right with your brother or with your sister. But could I submit to you that maybe we need to take our spiritual gift and our ministry, we need to leave it at the altar until we get right with those men and women that God has called us to be with. Oh, no, no, you don't understand. I, I got ministry. I'm anointed. Right. And you're anointed, and you have ministry, and you're going to be alone. Because, you see, it's not about the offense. It's when we don't keep short accounts, it's what happens with the offense. It's like that $15 pizza you buy in college. And you make a 3% minimum payment on for the next 27 years. That $15 pizza becomes a $15,000 pizza. 
And that's what happens when we don't keep short accounts with one another. We don't live together in a biblical way. Is that many times it's not the debt, it's the interest and the penalties that accrue on the debt. And then all of a sudden it's just like, why am I so jacked up with this person? I don't even know what it was about. But the next thing you know, it's the Hatfield and the McCoys generations later. Wow. And the offense will become a fence that will not only keep others out, but it will eventually keep God out as well. Matthew 6, it says, if you don't forgive, what does it say? Daddy won't forgive you. We'll talk about a pretty serious curse. There's one right there. And then lastly, resisting the smallness of recognition. You see, that smallness is often manifested in our need for human recognition. And when the recognition doesn't come as we think it should, we receive rejection. You see, rejection is most likely the easiest access point for the enemy. Having ministered to one or two folk over the years, most of the time where there's been a real incursion of the enemy, there was some point of rejection may have come generationally, may have come as a result of wounding or sin. But this is usually the access point that the devil uses as rejection. And recognition is like a drug. It's an addiction. We love it. We can't get enough of it. And most of us have a little Haman on the inside of us. I'm sitting at the king's table, and I was the only one that got invited, and oh, yeah, I got, yeah, uh uh-huh. And most of us have a little Haman lurking in us somewhere. But you see, that recognition reveals three things. First of all, comparison. We're looking around. What's he got going on? How big, how many seats did Pastor Brett build again? Woo, that's nice. Our church doesn't look like that. Comparison. And we need to make ourselves larger. Many times we do that by making others around us a little smaller. Oh, he's a good brother, but look out because here comes the slander. You ever heard that? He's a good brother, but comparison, insecurity. I need him to tell me that I'm all that. Really? Is your calling and placement that fragile? Is it really that fragile? We shouldn't need men to confirm that which only God can confirm. Your gift and your calling, yes, it will make room for you. Yes, affirmation will come, but ultimately your confirmation has to come from heaven. Paul said... God revealed it to me. I didn't receive it from any man. As a matter of fact, I waited a while to even go to see the brothers. Paul knew who he was and what he was called to do. And then motivation reveals why we do what we do. Or more specifically, for whom we're doing it. Matthew 6 Jesus saying, when you give, when you fat, when you pray, when you fast, if you're doing it for men's eyes and approval, you've already received your reward. And some things happen 
to us when we're bound by the smallness of recognition. First of all, there's a restriction of our God-ordained measure of gifting and anointing. This is a real conundrum because we know the gifts and calling of God are given without repentance. And yet, you see a man or a woman and you know that there's something in them so much bigger than what's getting out. But for whatever reason, there's a restriction that's not allowing the fullness of God's measure to flow out of their life. Many times, it's this smallness of recognition that's keeping us constricted. And then it affects our reproduction. Rather than reproducing something larger, we reproduce increasingly small. Pastor Jim and I and others, we, we have the privilege of traveling in churches. And I was in one in the last few weeks and I walked in and I walked into this, this, this meeting on a Friday evening. 35 leaders in a living room, a church that was six months old. And I thought, my God. Look at the leaders in this room. Students from top-tier colleges, engineers. But then I took a look at the leader and I realized, ah, he's reproducing large because he's large. He's not letting the smallness reproduce small. And then lastly, when we can rejoice in the success of others rather than comparing theirs to yours. Then when we hear that name, when we hear the name of that church, that city, that campus, we can say yes. Because when the tide rises, all the boats come up together. You see, it's not enough just to say, I got mine. I'm making my numbers. I, I raised my support. We're making our budget. That's not enough. Pastor Brett and I, we were in a meeting with Pastor Donnell downtown. They're believing God for a building. And as great as what we are celebrating is in this moment, let me just tell you, it's incomplete until Pastor Don gets his building. It's not enough just to say, we got ours. God bless you, Pastor Don. Go get it. No, sir. We will not be satisfied and our joy will not be made complete until he is in his building as well. This is how it works. So what have I said tonight? Being better together means we live reconciled to and with one another. And we do that four ways. One, we recognize our need for divine help. It's the only way relationships work. They're not only initiated by God, they're sustained by Him as well. Secondly, we live by revelation with the Spirit and with one another. Being in a place where we're able to receive truth when it comes to us. Three, we resolve to love deeply and to keep short accounts with one another. And lastly, we resist the smallness of recognition in comparison by rejoicing with one another rather than competing with each other. Pray with me.